affection. This is the quality of love that seems to be disappearing as the mystery of lawlessness continues to increase here in these last days. And whether we're talking about all the protesters who are now calling for the genocide of the Jews, or we're talking about those who engage in violent crimes against innocent victims, listen, the affection of love is clearly being replaced with a narcissistic love of self. And listen, this really should come as no surprise. And the reason why is because the Bible includes many prophecies that help us to see how the last days will be marked by an ever-increasing level of lovelessness. As a matter of fact, Paul presented this prophecy to Pastor Timothy when he described the last days as perilous times. And in order to understand why these will be perilous times, well, the reason why is because people will be lovers of themselves and they will be lovers of money. And not only that, but Paul also informs us that people will be uh, you know, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And as a result, the love of many will grow cold. This is exactly what the Lord Jesus said in a similar prophecy that we find in the Olivet Discourse. It's there where Jesus describes the last days as a time when lawlessness will abound. Lawlessness will abound, and as a result, the love of many will grow cold. Just as Jesus promised, well, that's exactly what we see. Lawlessness is now abounding, and the affectionate love of many continues to grow cold. Well, with that being the case, it's my hope that our study today will help us to become those believers who are actually abounding in affection. You see, we haven't been called to abound in lawlessness. No, instead, we've been called to abound in the affectionate love uh, of the Lord. And with this as the goal, it'll help you to know that abounding affection is first based on biblical knowledge. Secondly, we'll consider how abounding affection also becomes intellectual discernment. And then finally, we'll see how abounding affection helps us to begin bearing spiritual fruit. Well, with this as our outline, let's open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Here we find Paul. He's encouraging the original recipients of this epistle to continue abounding in affection. And as you make your way to the first chapter of Philippians, I just want to take a second here to to point out uh, that uh, Paul began this book by taking some time to commend the Christians there at the church in Philippi for their active participation in the ministry of our Messiah. He was applauding them for taking part in the ministry. And not only that, but he also assured their hearts by informing them that the Lord was going to complete the good work that he began in them. And that really, that really is good news, that what God started in us, he's going to complete. Well, now here in our text today, we find Paul praying for the Christians there in Philippi so that they might abound in the affection of the Lord. And with this as the focus, let's pick up our study of Philippians chapter one. If you would look with me there, beginning at verse eight, here Paul declares, for God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in the knowledge and all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. 
Now, here in our text today, we find Paul. He's presenting a prayer on behalf of the Christians there at the church in Philippi. But before we consider the content of this prayer, we should first take some time to consider the the way in which Paul expressed the affection that he felt for those believers. Just to be clear, that word affection, which is found there at the end of verse 8, it's translated from a Greek word which literally refers to the intestines or the bowels of an individual. That's right. Paul decided here to encourage the original recipients of this epistle by writing to them about bowels. And it's for this reason the scholars who created the King James Version of the Bible, they render verse 8 in this way. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Now, (laughs) If you're as weirded out by Paul's reference to the bowels of Jesus Christ as I am, uh, then you might like to know that the Greek word, which literally refers to the bowels of an individual, well, it was also used figuratively. Uh, This word is used figuratively in reference to the immaterial seat of our passions, which could include anything from violent anger all the way to tender affections. And from this, well, we can see that Paul wasn't referring to the literal bowels of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord for that. No, instead he's referring to the tender affections that are found in the immaterial heart of Jesus Christ. And isn't that nice to know that the heart of Jesus Christ, this immaterial heart, is filled with affection for us. Jesus Christ has a heart that is filled with affection for us. With that, I want to consider the way that the scholars who created the Christian Standard Bible rendered verse 8, they put it like this. For God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. From this, we see that Paul's heart was filled with the love of the Lord as he longed to see the believers who were there at the church in Philippi. Remember, he's writing this epistle from a Roman prison. And as he sat there in that Roman prison cell, he took the time to write this little epistle so that the believers in Philippi might be encouraged to know that he loved them, that his heart was filled with affection for them, and that he was praying for them. And with this as the focus, I want to take a closer look here at the prayer uh, that we find in Philippians chapter 1 here. If you would look with me, uh, beginning again at verse 9, here Paul declares, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more. Now I want to stop right there. I want to take a moment to consider the sort of love that Paul is referring to. You see, the English word love can actually be translated from four different Greek words. Whenever you come across the word love in the Bible, uh, in, the, in the New Testament, you know that, that word love could come from at least four different ancient Greek words. And so just to be clear here, you know, Paul wasn't, wasn't using the, the Greek word storge, which refers to a familial love. He wasn't using the Greek word eros, which is a romantic love. He wasn't using the Greek word phileo, which is a platonic love of those that are found in the friend zone, so to speak. Paul was actually using the Greek word agape, which is a sacrificial affection that leads us to become benevolent believers. Now, just to be clear, the Greek word agape in a Christian context, it refers to the sacrificial sort of love that that the Lord Jesus demonstrated when he died for our sins there on the cross. And, and seeing how this specific sort of love originates within the immaterial heart of the Lord, 
well, then it's crucial for every Christian to realize that we can't just conjure up this sort of love with carnal means. We can't conjure up agape love or the affectionate love of the Lord uh, with, with just the, the, the power of our fallen flesh. No, we're not going to be able to do it. You see, the affection of God's agape love must first be received from the Lord. We must first receive the affection of God's agape love by faith in Jesus Christ. And then, as we walk by faith with Jesus, that's how the agape love of the Lord, which is poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, is then uh, you know, manifest in the way that we begin to love one another. At the same time, Paul also prays for the Christians there in Philippi so that they might abound in this affectionate love of the Lord. So we're not talking about this one-time reception where the Holy Spirit fills our hearts with the love of the Lord and it's this one-time deposit and that's all we have for the rest of our lives. No, it's an abounding love. It's an abounding affection that comes from the Holy Spirit as we walk by faith with Jesus Christ. And so I want to consider how Paul puts it here in Philippians chapter 1. Look with me again at verse 9. Here again, Paul declares, In this I pray that your love may abound still more and more and more and more and more. The affection that we receive from the Lord should abound in our lives more and more. That word abound is translated from a Greek word which is used of that which is excessive. That we should have an excessive amount of affection. Think about this word excessive. You know, somebody that's acquired a billion dollars. That's an excessive amount of money. No one needs a billion dollars. It's an excessive amount. And yet who's going to complain, right? Who's going to complain? Well, the same Greek word is used of something that is overflowing. So not only is it excessive, but it's overflowing. And so, you know, it's, it's for this reason that the scholars who create the New American Standard Bible, they render verse 9 in this way. This I pray that your love may overflow still more and more. Not that it's just filled to the rim, not that this love is filled up within our hearts, but that it's filled up so much that it just overflows from our lives. We should have so much of the Lord's love within us that it's just overflowing everywhere we go. As we consider Paul's prayer here, we should take a moment to ask, well, how does a Christian then abound in the affection of God's agape love? How do we receive this love from the, from the Lord Jesus so that it is abounding and overflowing in excessive amounts? Well, in order to answer this question, let's take a closer look there at verse 9. Here Paul declares, This I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge. Here in this verse, we find Paul here. He's helping his audience to see a connection between the knowledge that we acquire and the abounding affection that continues to increase as it overflows from our lives. And in order to better uh, understand this connection, it'll help you to know that the Greek word translated knowledge here, it's used in reference to the accurate and correct comprehension of the information which stems from the relationship that occurs between the student and the topic they're studying. There's a relational connection between the, the student and the information that they're acquiring. And just to be clear about the knowledge that Paul is referring to, I want to consider the, the way that he uses the same word in another prayer that's found in Colossians chapter 1. It's 
verses 9 and 10, where Paul declares, we do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge. There's the same word. He's praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Here in these verses, we find Paul, he's praying for the Christians there at the church in Colossae so that they might be filled with this accurate comprehension of God's will, which is based on all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And at the same time, he's also praying that they might become knowledgeable believers who are walking worthy of the Lord, being fruitful in every good work as they continued increasing in the knowledge of God. And from this, we can see that Paul was referring to the accurate knowledge of God. He's not just talking about any sort of knowledge in a general sense. He's not talking about the wide range of things that we could be studying on, on, you know, in regards to any given topic. You know, for example, let's just take algebra for, uh, you know, for, for one example, I, I studied algebra when I was younger. It did not fill me with love. They tried to teach me how to use letters in math, and all I knew is that my hatred was overflowing for those who were trying to teach me this information. Not all knowledge is going to fill our hearts with love, but the accurate knowledge of the Lord that we find in the scriptures will fill our hearts with love as we learn more and more about how much God loves us. Those who want to abound in the affection of God's agape love should spend time studying the doctrinal truths which have been revealed to us in the Bible. And as we continue to acquire the accurate knowledge of God's word, the Lord will help us to then become believers who are abounding in the affection of the Lord. I like the way that Jesus sums it up in Matthew chapter 22. It's verses 37 through 40 where he declares, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, this reference to the law and the prophets, that's a reference to all of the Old Testament. The entirety of the Old Testament was written so that we might be able to comprehend these two simple truths that we've been called to love God and we've been called to love our neighbor. All of the Old Testament points us to these two commandments. And these two commandments help us to understand how we are to abound in affection. We are to learn how to love the Lord and we do this by learning how much he loves us. And as we learn this, as we acquire this accurate information from the scriptures, the Lord then helps us to learn how to love others. You want to know how to love the Lord with the affection of agape love? Study the scriptures. And if you want to know how to love your neighbor with the affection of agape love, study the scriptures. To sum it up, those who want to abound in affection so that it overflows more and more in excessive amounts, spend time acquiring the accurate knowledge 
of God's word by simply studying the scriptures. This brings us to our second point, because listen, the abounding affection of the Lord is not only based on the acquisition of biblical knowledge, but the abounding affection of the Lord also empowers us so that we can begin to judge with intellectual discernment. And with this as the focus, let's continue to consider the prayer that Paul presents here in Philippians chapter 1. If you would look with me there, we'll back up and beginning uh, reading there at verse 8. There he declares, For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent. I want to stop right there. I want to consider the sort of discernment that Paul is talking about here. And just to be clear, it'll help you to know that the word discernment It's found there at the end of verse 9. That word is translated from a Greek word which was used in reference to the perception that we develop by the use of our senses. You know, just based on the natural senses that we have, we can discern things. Not only that, though, but the same word was used of the perspective we develop as we use our intellectual capabilities. We have the sense of reason, and we can use that for the purpose of discernment. But then the same Greek word also encompasses the moral wisdom that's necessary for making ethical decisions. What's right? What's wrong? How do we know? Where, where, where do we get this discernment from? You see, this Greek word rendered discernment is used in reference to the intellectual ability to judge between what's right and between what's wrong. With that, I want to consider the way that the scholars who created the New International Version render verse 9. They put it like this. This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and what? And depth of insight. Depth of insight. I love that. Because listen, Paul not only wanted them to abound in love through the acquisition of biblical knowledge, but then he also wanted the believers there in Philippi to abound in love through in-depth of insight, which comes from biblical knowledge coupled together with wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit that enables us to become discerning disciples who know the difference between right and wrong. And as we consider this in its context, Paul here is clearly encouraging the Christians there in Philippi to abound in the affection of the Lord so that they might learn to love what is good and to reject what is wrong. To love what is pure and to abhor what is evil. With this as the goal, I want to take a closer look at the prayer that Paul presents here in Philippians chapter 1. If you would look with me once again at verse 9. Here again, Paul declares, In this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent. I want to stop right there again. I want to consider the way that those who abound in godly affection, begin to develop the intellectual discernment that we need so that we can approve the things that are excellent. And just to be clear, that word approve, well, it's translated from a Greek word which was used of those who test, examine, or scrutinize something in order to determine the genuineness of that thing which is being put to the test. For example, you know, there are several different ways to, to test Uh, whether a diamond is fake or not. There's a water test that they use. 
There's a UV test that they use. There's also a heat test. Each of these tests, you know, can help a person spot a fake diamond. There's also tests that can help you to know the purity of gold or say like the quality of silver. Or if you go to a flea market and you're wondering if that Gucci bag is, is legit, there's a way to test that on the spot. You can look at the surroundings and, and say, I'm at a flea market. This is, this is clearly not real. Are those real Nikes? No, they are not. You're at a flea market, right? There's a, ways, a way to test these things, to see if it's genuine. Well, it's in a similar yet spiritual fashion that the affection of the Lord enables us to then develop the intellectual discernment that we need so that we can approve what is genuine and expose what is false. It enables us to approve what is excellent and expose what is not. I like the way that John Darby translates the original Greek here in these verses. He put it like this. This I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in full knowledge and all intelligence that ye may judge of and approve the things that are more excellent. That's right. You know, Paul is saying that, that this discernment that is granted through the, uh, the affection of the Lord helps us to become judgmental Christians. Yeah, that's right. Those who abound in the affection of God's love. Well, listen, a lot of people will say, well, if you're really loving, then you'll stop judging. And Paul says, if you're really abounding in God's love, then you'll start judging. You'll start judging between what is right and what is wrong. Now, I realize that there are many who have been duped into believing that it's unloving to judge. But Paul says the exact opposite. That being the case, it's crucial for every Christian to realize that those who abound in affection will begin to use biblical knowledge in order to distinguish the difference between what is good and what is evil so that we can make judgments that are in line with the truth of God's word. Now, in order to further make my case here, it'll help you to know that the word excellent, which is found there in the middle of verse 10, it's actually translated from a Greek word which was used of those who test and prove the quality of something. And the same Greek word was also used of those who took the time to distinguish the difference between what is good and what is evil. At the same time, this word was also used of the discernment that's necessary for judging between that which is lawful and that which is unlawful, or, or to judge between those who are walking according to the truth and those who are walking in deception. As we begin to walk in the affectionate love of the Lord, we're given the ability to discern between people who are walking by faith in Jesus Christ and people who aren't. Now again, I realize there are those who have been led to believe that it's always wrong to judge, of course, these are the same people who are quick to judge the judgmental people that are judging them. They're quick to say, well, judge not lest you be judged. Wait a minute, aren't you judging me now? That's right. The people who tell you, judge not lest you be judged, are judging you. And so they're doing the thing that they're saying is wrong to do. 
That being the case, we should take a moment to ask, well, how can we use our intellectual abilities to discern between good and evil if this distinction ends up leading us to judge those who are living in sin? And if judging people living in sin is wrong, then how can we go about uh, about being intellectual uh, Christians who have discernment if we're not allowed to judge, if we're not allowed to make the judgments? And, And just to be clear, listen, the way we understand the difference between judging and judging It's a bit difficult, and yet it can really be boiled down to motivation. If you want to know if you're judging in a good way or judging in a bad way, then we have to consider the motivation of the judgments. And in order to elaborate on this distinction, we should consider something that Paul wrote regarding this motivation, which is based on affection. And with that, let's hold our place here in the book of Philippians, and let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And as you make your way to the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians... Well, I just want to take a moment to point out that those who judge others with a heart that's filled with hypocrisy are judging with unrighteous judgment. When we judge other sinners from a pedestal of thinking that we're sinless, well, this is just hypocrisy. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of God's perfect standard. And so we shouldn't judge others as if you know, we've achieved self-righteousness or something. That's, that's hypocritical. Conversely, those who are motivated by the abounding affection of agape love, well, these are the believers who are judging with righteous judgment according to the love of the Lord. And as we consider this distinction between judging and judging, well, we should take a moment to ask, well, are my judgments motivated by abounding affection or are they motivated by personal hypocrisy? And with this question in mind, let's take some time to consider the way that Paul describes the affection of agape love here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you would look with me there beginning at verse 1, because here Paul declares, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never never fails. Now here in these verses we find Paul, he's helping his audience to understand that those who want to properly serve our Savior with the right motivations, we must make sure that we're being motivated by the affection of God's agape love. And then just to be clear, Paul takes the time to provide us with a definition of agape love, which includes 16 different distinctives. And with that being the case, listen, the believer who wants to make sure that their motivations are correct, well, they ought to consider their motivations in light of this definitive definition so that we can test our judgments, so that we can make sure that our judgments are based in affection and not motivated by hypocrisy. For example, listen, those who are abounding in affection, well, they're going to be patient and kind as we deal with those who have sinned against us. 
rather than rushing to judgment with hypocrisy as we attempt to scold those who commit the same sins that we commit, we will be patient with them. We will be kind in our rebuke. And the reason why is because agape love suffers long and is kind. Those who are abounding in affection will also offer words of correction in a way that is humble and compassionate. And the reason why is because agape love is not puffed up nor does it behave rudely. Those who are abounding in affection will always judge according to the word of God because agape love rejoices in the truth and speaks no evil. Those who are abounding in affection will always hope for reconciliation and restoration with those that we pass a judgment upon. And the reason why is because agape love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And in this way, Love never fails. To sum it up with simplicity, listen, the believer who is abounding in the affection of the Lord will become disciples who develop the intellectual discernment that helps us to approve what is excellent while also exposing that which is evil. And at the same time, the same discernment will also enable us to judge the difference between what is right and what is wrong. It'll help us to see the difference between those who are walking by faith with the Lord and those who are not. But then knowing that our judgments might also be motivated by unloving hypocrisies, well, those who want to continue abounding in the affection of the Lord should take the time to test our own motivations. Not only should we examine what's going wrong with somebody else, but we should examine ourselves as well. We should take the time to test our own motivation so that we can make sure that our intellectual discernment is in line with the agape love of the Lord. And in this way, we will abound in affection. Now, this brings us to our third and final point, because listen, the abounding affection of the Lord is not only based on biblical knowledge, and the abounding affection of the Lord is not only uh, going to empower us with the intellectual discernment that we need to judge between what's right and what's wrong, the abounding affection of the Lord will also produce in us the spiritual fruits of righteousness. To explain what I mean, well, let's continue to consider the, the, the prayer that Paul presents back in Philippians chapter 1. So let's make our way back to Philippians 1. Good, let's, let's begin reading once again at verse 8. Here again, Paul declares, So God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, and being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Now, here in the final section of this prayer, we find Paul, he's actually praying now for the sincerity of, of the saints who were there at the church in Philippi. And just to be clear, that word sincerity is translated from a Greek word which was used of that which has been tested and then proven to be pure. One example of this definition can be found back in 1661 when a religious dictionary provided us with this definition of the English word sincere. According to them, sincere is that which is without mixture as honey without wax. In light of this example, Paul here is informing us that the believer who abounds in affection ought to be sincere. We ought to be sincere like pure honey, which is free from a filler like wax. 
you know, when you take pure honey and you start adding wax to it, people don't, don't really know that there's wax in it. Uh, and yet, it's just, it's not pure honey. And in the, in the case of the Christian life, listen, the wax, this would be comparable to the offense that Paul refers to here in our text today. And so look with me again, beginning at verse 9 there. There he declares, In this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere, or remember, pure, and notice, without offense till the day of Christ. We should be pure and without the wax. We should be pure Christians without giving offense. And just to be clear, that word offense is translated from a Greek word, which was used of that which could cause others to stumble into sin. That's right. Uh, You know, he's talking about, hey, uh, you know, be pure, be a pure Christian, and do this by making sure that you're not causing other people to stumble. In light of this, Paul here is helping his audience to understand that the believer who is abounding in affection will become sincere by avoiding those things that might cause others to stumble. That being the case, we should take a moment to examine our own lives by asking, am I walking in the sincerity of godly affection or does my lifestyle still cause others to stumble back into sin? With this question in mind, I want to consider something that Paul wrote in Romans chapter 14. It's verses 13 through 15 where he declares, Let us stop condemning one another, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him... It is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Now the issue here is that there were Christians who were eating meats that had been offered to idols, and some were offended by this. Some were stumbling over this. And Paul's saying, hey, you know, it's, it's not that the meat is necessarily unclean, but if it's causing somebody else to stumble then wouldn't it just be better to not eat the meat at all? Listen, those who allow their so-called liberties to cause others to stumble because they like to flaunt their liberties or they like to you know, broadcast their liberties, Paul says you're, you're not walking in love. You're not abounding in the affection of agape love. Why? Well, because you've placed your so-called liberty on a, on a priority that's above caring for a weaker Christian. The believer who wants to abound in the affection of God's agape love should make sure that we're becoming those sincere saints who are without offense and until the day of Christ. Or to put this uh, into the words that Paul presented at the end of Romans chapter 14, It's verses 21 and 22 where he says this. He says, it's good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. In other words, if you think that you have this so-called liberty that others might stumble over, keep it at home. Don't broadcast it. Don't put it on Facebook. You know, don't, don't brag about it. Just keep it between you and God. And that way, you can enjoy your liberty without causing someone else to stumble. 
This is the loving approach of those who are abounding in affection. With this as the goal, I want to continue to consider the encouragement that Paul presents here in Philippians chapter 1. If you would, let's back up once again and begin reading at verse 9. Here Paul declares, This I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. And here in these verses, we find Paul, he's helping his audience to understand that the believer who is abounding in affection will not only take the time to examine the sincerity of their own faith, but will also walk in the love of the Lord so that we can begin to bear the fruits of righteousness. And to understand how the love of the Lord enables us to bear the fruits of righteousness, well, I want to consider how the Holy Spirit then empowers us so that we can continue to abound in affection. And with this as the focus, I want to consider the way that Paul explains it in the letter that he sent to the church in Galatia. So uh, if you would, let's turn in our Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. And as you make your way to the fifth chapter of Galatians, I want to take a moment to remind you that we have no righteousness of our own. And so within the context of our own fallen flesh, we're not going to be producing fruits of righteousness. You see, the fruits of righteousness come from righteousness. You, you have to have righteousness to bear fruits of that righteousness. And what this means then is that we need the righteousness of God in our lives so that then we can begin to produce fruit that comes from the righteousness. And thankfully for us, those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, well, we've received the righteousness of Jesus Christ that covers our sins. And not only that, but we've received the Holy Spirit of promise who then enables us to begin producing fruits of righteousness. And I want to consider how Paul explains this here in Galatians chapter 5. If you would look with me there, beginning at verse 16. Here he declares, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, or in other words, obvious, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. Now here in these verses, we find Paul, he's presenting us now with a contrast between the fruits of the Spirit and the rotten fruit of our fallen flesh. According to Paul here, the first fruit of the Spirit, well, that, that first fruit that we find there on the list in verse 22 it's love. That's the first fruit on this, uh, this list of spiritual fruits. And what this means then is that those who want to abound in affection must walk in the power of the Holy Spirit because the power of the Holy Spirit enables us to walk in love or produce the spiritual fruit of love, which then produces the rest of the fruits of righteousness. 
To explain what I mean, let's take a moment to consider how the agape love of the Lord is not only a spiritual fruit, but it's a spiritual fruit that enables us to produce the rest of the spiritual fruits on the list. I like the way that A.B. Simpson summarizes the fruit of the Spirit. He said it in this way. Love is the summation of the other eight virtues. Joy is love exulting. Peace is love reposing. Long-suffering is love enduring. Gentleness is love refined. Goodness is love in action. Faithfulness is love confiding. Meekness is love with bowed head. And temperance is true self-love. I love that. It helps us to see the connection between the first fruit, which is love, and all the other fruits, which are a form of agape love. Christian, listen, those who want to be filled with the fruits of righteousness must choose to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and by faith in Jesus Christ. And as we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, we receive the spiritual power that we need to abound in the affection of God's agape love. And as we abound in the affection of God's agape love, we begin to produce the spiritual fruits that include joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And just to be clear, let's consider the contrast then that Paul presents here in this same chapter between the fruits of the Spirit and the rotten fruit of the flesh. With that, I want to back up here in Galatians chapter 5. I want to draw your attention back to verse 19. There again, Paul declares, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness. Now let's stop right there, because here in these verses, Paul here is helping his audience to understand uh, and, and see the contrast between the affection of God's agape love, remember, which is the first fruit in the list of the spiritual fruits, and this is in contrast to these false forms of love or, or lust, if you will, which include adultery, which is any sort of extramarital affair, or fornication, which is every other form of sexual immorality, which includes unmarried sex, homosexuality, lesbianism, bestiality, and the like. Paul also includes here on this list uncleanness, which is simply lustful perversion, and lewdness, which is a shameless, unbridled lust. Listen, all of these things are in conflict with the abounding affection of God's agape love. Listen, when somebody says that they're engaging in some form of sexual immorality and they call it love, it's not love. And those who insist that love is love is love, and what does it matter if this person wants to love somebody of the same gender and that person wants to love somebody? Listen, if it is found in the list of adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness, then it is not love. It is lust. So don't call lust love. Because that which is based in Lustful perversion has nothing to do with the affection of God's agape love. We should also notice that Paul continues this list beginning there in verse 20 by declaring idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. 
Paul here is continuing to present us with this list of sins which are in conflict with the affection of agape love. The affection of agape love has nothing to do with idolatry or sorcery or hatred or contentions or jealousy. You know, the affection of God's agape love has nothing to do with outbursts of wrath or selfish ambitions or dissensions or heresies or envy or murders or drunkenness or revelries. The affection of agape love has nothing to do with those things. And so those who are engaging in these sorts of sins are failing to abound in the affection of God's agape love. And not only that, but we must not fail to notice that this is an open-ended list because you might be thinking, well, my sin isn't found anywhere on this list. It is. All sin is found on this list and the fact that he says, and the like. Anything that's like this. is in conflict with the affection of agape love. This open-ended list of fleshly fruits includes anything that is contrary to the affection of agape love. And we should also notice there in the middle of verse 21 where Paul, Paul goes on to declare this. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're not talking here about Christians who stumble back into these sins that entice them. We're talking about those who practice such things, those who are living their lives for the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Listen, we all struggle with sin. But if it is your practice, if this is the way of your life, then you will eventually realize that you've traveled a path that has led you to the judgment throne of Jesus Christ and it will not work out well. Those who say that all paths lead to God, they are absolutely correct. All paths lead to God. The question is what happens when you get there? What's gonna happen when you stand before the great white throne judgment of God and he opens up the books and looks at all your sins? What's going to happen at that moment? Those who find themselves at the great white throne judgment of Jesus Christ will end up being judged for every single sin they ever committed. And according to the Lord, they will be cast into the lake of fire where the fire never is quenched and the worm never dies. That being the case, Christians, we ought to be encouraging every unbeliever to repent of their lawlessness and trust in Jesus Christ so that they might also become believers who are abounding in the affection of the Lord. As we begin to wrap up this study, I just want to remind you that we are living in a day and an age when lawlessness is abounding. And as a result, the affectionate love of many is growing cold. And it's sad to say that this is not only happening out there in the world, but it's also happening in the church. We're watching churches going down the same path of lawlessness and lovelessness. And it's for this reason that I want to remind you that Christians have been called to abound in the affection of agape love. We haven't been called to abound in lawlessness. We haven't been called to abound in lovelessness. We've been called to abound in affection. 
And with this as the goal, I encourage you in closing to remember that the abounding affection of the Lord is based on biblical knowledge. And it's for this reason that we ought to continue acquiring the accurate knowledge of God's word through the daily study of the scriptures, which helps us to learn how much the Lord loves us. And as we learn about the way that the Lord loves us, he then turns around and helps us to love others in the way that we should. The abounding affection of the Lord also empowers us with the intellectual discernment that we need so that we can test all things, so that we can see the difference between what is right and what is wrong, so that we can make proper judgments, and so that we can even judge ourselves and test our motivations so that we can make sure that our judgments are actually in line with the agape love of the Lord. And finally, the abounding affection of the Lord helps us Uh, to to bear spiritual fruits of righteousness so that we can continue to crucify every sinful desire of the flesh along with its passions and its desires so that we can abound in the affection of the Lord. And knowing that we need the help of the Holy Spirit to accomplish all of these things, let's walk in the power of the Holy Spirit by, by faith in Jesus Christ who is here to help us so that we can abound in the affection of God's agape love. Let's pray.